0: We, you know, we talk there's a lot of talk about orthodoxy. Absolutely, that's important, but by itself, is it's meaningless, right? Satan knows more scripture than any of us. The demons believe and tremble. Right, belief by itself is nothing, and even orthopraxy, which you could say, you know, could you could misunderstand obedience-based discipleship as just being orthopraxy. But um, it, it goes beyond that because the, the source, the purpose, the, um, you know, empowerment for the obedience is God.
1: Uh, today we have as our special guest, Curtis Sargent. Curtis served with the IMB, as the Southern Baptist Mission Board among unreached people groups in China and was graced to see a a church planting movement start there. He also began house church networks in China. He then served as a vice president for global strategy with the IMB. Later at Saddleback Church, he led efforts for church planting and strategy and was used to catalyze global church planting projects, particularly in the country of India. Through God's grace in these efforts, nearly 100 previously unengaged, unreached people groups were engaged with the gospel. He served as the international vice president of E3 Partners, and he currently directs a disciple-making and missions training center called Metacamp in the USA. He's a co-facilitator of the 2414 Coalition, and he helped with Dr. Frank found the Zume Project. Curtis earned his... M.Div. and Doctorate in Missiology from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and has a master's degree in education from the University of Arkansas. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Glad to be with you.
1: Okay, well today we are exploring the depths of the concept of disciple making movements. Disciple making movements. What is it? Where do we get this idea of a disciple-making movement? And we're going to be just having a conversation with Curtis and Frank and 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 really trying to seek out what does it mean, why is it part of the Fidelis course, and how do we go about um, preparing people to think in this manner of, of praxis in, in their everyday lives as a disciple of Jesus, and how is it distinguished from other ways of thinking and other ways of uh, methodologies of 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 work on the mission field or just in your hometown. So um, Frank, could you go ahead and start out and and then I'll let you kind of maybe toss the ball to Curtis. Why is what what is disciple making movements first? and and then maybe maybe Curtis, you have some thoughts about that? And then why was it included in the Fidelis um, Fidelis course? Uh, thank
2: you, Dan, once again for the opportunity to share with you. Uh, discipleship, discipleship-making movements are a clear strategy that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ Himself instituted for the bringing closure to the Great Commission. We know from the Great Commission uh, that Jesus says, "Go out and make disciples of all nations." But the theology behind that is deeply rooted in the Old Testament. Since the book of Genesis all the way through, God says, I want you to be a light to the nations, and that requires people to be uh, fervent uh, disciples of Jesus Christ uh, in order to complete the Great Commission. What it basically boils down to, as people receive uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, they become part of, you could say, uh, quote-unquote, Jesus' priesthood. We are priests to the whole nation, all the nations of the world. And we carry out that priestly responsibility by going out and blessing people with what we have received. In other words, we become disciples. Uh, when we become disciples, we are automatically enlisted in God's mission because that's a passion of God, his priority. And we in, we uh, enlist others to do the same so that a people from all the nations, God has chosen people to be his children, people of God, that, that God creates a new nation. Uh, in order to be on mission with Him, participating with God. And I personally think it's the greatest blessing that we have as God's people to join forces with God. Uh, and and uh, as we make ourselves available to God and follow his principles in scripture, uh, then we're on a great adventure. I think Christians that are not on mission with God are missing one of the key
1: elements of being in relationship with God. How about you, Curtis? What What is a disciple-making movement? And uh, maybe, maybe you could said. share. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, what he said. But um, so sort of a, a technical definition that's, I think, fairly widely accepted in the missions world, at least, is uh, a movement of disciples and churches that reaches at least the fourth generation in multiple streams. So you'll have different streams of fourth generation within three to five years. So it's, that's just, you know, from a very technical perspective, that's usually how we define you know, if something is a church planting movement or not. So the the biggest distinctive would be this pattern of generational growth that's, you know, fairly rapid. It's not, you know, every 25 years or something like that. It's a fairly rapid multiplication of churches.
1: All right. Well, could you just share a little bit of your journey? I mean, I said in your introduction that you've been – been witness to something that the the spirit did maybe in, in, in China or India or something like that. Could you share? I mean, obviously this is a technical definition that we don't find in scripture. This is something that we just like the term unreached people group isn't in scripture. It's just a, it's a term that we've, that's been coined to help give some, some definition to either what we've observed or what we would pray God would do in the future. Could you share a little bit of your journey there?
0: Yeah. Um, I can sort of um, mark the beginning of my personal journey in this, back to when I was serving among a people group on an island off the coast of China. And it was a very um, big and populated island and there was virtually no, you know, Christian presence there at that time. And I was, trying to figure out, you know, how could this group possibly be reached, you know, through my efforts. And um, I quickly saw there was no way, (laughs) you know, Um, it was absolutely impossible. And this sort of came to a head when I met this really old lady who, you know, she couldn't read Nobody in her village could read. I could was barely taking my first steps in learning that that language that uh, she spoke, that that people group spoke. And I was just feeling so helpless because there were no Christians I could introduce her to, no Christian radio or television in her language. You know, nothing printed because they couldn't read and their language wasn't reduced to writing anyway. And I was just feeling so helpless. And it, But at that point, it just dramatically struck me that the only way that that island, that those people would be reached, would be if there were multiplying disciples and multiplying churches. Because otherwise, nothing I had ever heard of, dreamed of, thought of, or seen would Possibly get the job done. I couldn't imagine another way. And so, you know, I began making stumbling steps toward figuring out what would multiply disciples and churches. So that's kind of the genesis of, you know, my journey on this.
1: Mm. And uh, what did you see the Spirit of God do there?
0: Yeah. So, you know, the, we, we did see a movement take place that ultimately um, reached all the villages in the, the whole island, which was well over 5,000 um, villages. But of course, I wasn't even there when that was achieved. Um, I was there when we got some initial work started in each of the 17 counties, and then a little over 500 districts and once that had happened and there was momentum going forward, you know, I pulled out because there, there was literally no need for me. Um, I'd probably do more harm than good, in fact, if I stuck around. So uh, I wasn't there for those later phases as they continued multiplying that work out to every village.
1: Wow. So the population of the whole island was of around 5,000 people, you say?
0: Uh, no, I said 5,000 villages. 5,000 villages?
1: 7 oh, million goodness. people.
0: Yeah.
1: Wow. And so by God's grace, you can say, okay, well, obviously 7 million people are not following Jesus. What do you mean by they're reached yeah. when you say that?
0: Yeah, there's about a million believers there now in that movement. But, are you kidding? Um, there's wow. access. You know, there are churches in every. there's a, a church in every village and access to the gospel,
1: you know, for everyone. So praise the Lord. That, (laughs) that is crazy. That's incredible. I mean, that's the Holy spirit. Um, so what, how, what was the journey God led you on and, and was, was this idea of, asking God for a movement and acting in such a way that a movement might take place among this people group. Was this a a single language people group of of the entire Island? Was it one, one language?
0: Well, great question. There are (laughs) actually five, five sub dialects that are, you know, mostly, um, mutually intelligible. Um, I only learned one of those and then just, uh, you know, hacked through the linguistic limitations of only knowing one to get things started. But once word gets started in every place, then you have you know speakers obviously of each of those subdialects who can pass it on effectively in their own subdialect. Yeah.
1: Wow. Well, one of one of the criticisms I've heard of of DMM thinking is it's just these you know missionaries coming in, not learning the language, you know, doing a few, you know, methodologies and leaving. And this is, this is not what you, what you did. Obviously you came and you did learn the language, you learned the culture and you really were embedded in that place. That's, that's interesting. Okay. Very good. Um, okay. So, uh, I would just like to throw this ball out there. Whoever wants to catch it, Frank and Curtis, you can fight over it, but, um, you know, what, have missiologists been learning since this 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 phrase, this term, you know, church disciple-making movement or church planting movement, I think is another one that really, uh, I would say, uh, Dr. Ralph Winter's and the perspectives course really brought these terms to the forefront of a lot of people's thinking. Uh, I'm in the midst of coordinating a perspectives course right now, and we're having a blast, but it is interesting that Dr. Ralph Winter was really raising the banner of church planting movements and disciple making movements um, in the late 70s. Is, is is that where kind of the genesis of some of these ideas came from? Or is there some other authors or or practitioners in the field that really brought these to the, to the to forefront?
0: Do you wanna start on that or do you want me to, Frank? Go ahead.
1: All
2: right, I'll start on that. Well, you know, everybody's journey is a little bit different, I would say. Uh, you, I think you have people that came to the understanding about church planting movements and the need for them, uh, mostly because they were out on the field and for tactical reasons. And I think there's those that came to that understanding through studying courses like the perspectives course. Matter of fact, I'll be teaching CPM tonight uh, at a perspectives course. And I always highlight uh, Curtis's work in, in the area that he just described to, to get the class going. But can I maybe tell my story a little bit, how I started using the term CPM?
1: Absolutely. Uh,
2: well, I was living in the Golden Triangle with my family. Uh, in, I was on the Thai side, just across from the Mekong River in a mountain village with the people group that we were targeting. And uh, there was a lot of Christians in that village. That's why we moved there to learn the languages. And then we would move out from there and go to other villages. But that's a whole different story. The point I want to make is that we would regularly have uh, this people group, they would co- individuals and families would come over from the Laotian side into our village because they wanted to believe. And then when we sat and talked with them, I could understand the challenges that they were facing. Uh, in other words, they say, you know, if we believe the police are gonna come and get us and all these other uh, challenges and barriers that they needed to overcome in order to follow through with their faith. So I learned a lot, just listening to these guys. And uh, one day the border started to open up. Uh, that was a miraculous thing that God did. Anyways, with me and among leader and then a British linguist, we trekked across northern Laos there, uh, exploring where this our target people group was uh, uh, living. And we trekked through northern Laos and popped up in southern China and then went around in southern China. And it was Actually actually a miraculous trip where God guided us, uh, and we could see, we knew of other dialects out there as well, and then we found out there's about 35 other dialects out of there that were in need of the gospel. And so we did a a linguistic survey and how these dialects went together, and then uh, mapped out a strategy to do that. But what I what I what I'm really trying to get at is when we when when I heard the testimony of these people coming across into our village and talking to them, the challenges they faced. And then when I traveled uh, in this area that I just described, uh, you know, the police checkpoints, the military checking in on you, the roads, the living conditions, the impossibility of getting into a lot of these areas as we surveyed. When I got back to my village. I begin to really think and pray, Lord, how are we going to do this impossible thing? Maybe you noticed me smiling when Curtis says, when he started surveying his target area, he realized it was impossible. I realized that it was totally impossible and we needed a work of God. So I r- realized that in order to evangelize these people and get them to be able to, be, to grow in their faith and to be able to stand up against the juggernaut that's going to come against them. I I, termed the, I, termed, I just wrote the term church planting movements. I had no idea who Curtis was, David Garrison, Ralph Winter talking about all these things. I basically coined that term uh, for my own use <clears throat> that we needed a church planting movements. Christians seek uh, families leading other families to Christ. Uh, Christians, uh, churches, starting other churches so that we get a move, movement. So it was for practical reasons, theological reasons, and tactical reasons, I believe that we needed to have a movement. And that's actually what happened. A very large movement occurred and is continuing to go on right now. So that, that's my story. And then, uh, you know, I, I I love this guy, Curtis, and I admire him so much. But a lot of the nuances of actually doing a CPM, I've learned from Curtis.
0: So, um, Dan, as far as I know, um, it was kind of McGavern who coined people movements. Right. Um, and church planting movements wasn't really... Um, Common, at least referring to what we're referring to in missiological literature, really until um, Garrison wrote his little booklet called Church Planning Movements. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the, you know, other people obviously Winter helped popularize some of McGavran's work, and um, you know, then there were some maybe precursors to kind of movement approaches as, you know, we commonly talk about them now, maybe with uh, like George Patterson um, and, you know, maybe we'll discuss a little bit of that later. Um, But the disciple making movement, I think it was um, David Watson, who sort of was, seeking to distinguish his approaches a little bit from the church planting movements that coined that term. But these days, those terms are used absolutely interchangeably by 99% of the people. So um, they're used equivalently. But actually, I would say the church planting movement terminology is used by a lot of people who aren't using what what I would understand as movement approaches at all. It's just become a term used almost by anybody who's doing any kind of church planting. So um, it's a little confusing if you're talking about historical kind of original use versus popular usage today. So,
1: Yeah, and I think that's maybe a bit of the challenge is, you know, defining the terms and distinguishing the terms and then realize, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a lot of these, these ideas get kind of thrown into a big pot with every, every pastor, every missionary, every person in the field, you know, we're all coming to the buffet table in a sense sometimes, and just, you know, seeking the Lord, trying to, I, I, I heard a pastor actually, uh, uh, pastor in Chiang Rai, where Frank and I both went, and he's like, you know, it's it's a it's a missions deployment strategy. I mean or a weapons deployment. Like we, we have to we have to deploy our activities somehow and and everybody's trying to figure out what's the what's the um you know where do you start? Where do you start and how do you move forward with the end in mind? And if you don't have the end in mind, you you don't always know what you're doing. I mean, I think that's one of the frustrating things. And so, um, yeah, and just moving on. I mean, there's some there's a lot of these phrases also that are thrown in. Things like DBS that stands for disciple uh, discipleship Bible studies I believe is that what that discovery discovery. discovery Bible studies uh, T for T that's training for trainers um, There's four fields which is in uh, that training for trainers book by Ying Kai and uh, Steve Smith I believe P O P searching or person of peace kind of stuff I mean there's all these kind of practices Oikos mapping um, Creation to Christ, found you know teaching, orality. There's all these kind of elements that are kind of squashed into um, these terms that 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 many people use. So um, <clears throat> when you speak of um, disciple making movements, and even I mean, I heard you say Frank, and I'll push against this a little bit. How, do we do a movement? And I guess you know, obviously we don't do movements. <laughs> you know, God does the movement. Uh, we want to speak with some some humility recognizing, you know, how, what does it mean for us to think as leaders and yet recognizing the role of the Holy Spirit and God's power is the decisive action, not just in movements, but in in one single soul being converted, right? Like we can look at the masses, we can look at the millions and realize this is impossible, but the reality is it's impossible. It's a miracle when one person comes to faith. So could you guys just speak to that i just said a whole lot of different things but uh, i'll throw the ball to you this time curtis how would you respond to people who are wrestling through um all the terms all the the different kind of methodologies that are out there and i think it really is a methodology when you when you speak of movement thinking what are you talking about curtis
0: wow <clears throat> that, that's uh you're in danger of me talking for a while um <laughs> if I had to really quickly try to sort of summarize, um, let's say church planting movement thinking, um, first I would um, say um, many times people focus on the quantitative or numerical aspects of it whereas in practice, you start with the qualitative aspects, you know, mm. it, it starts with introspection, in a sense, uh, am I a disciple worth multiplying, <laughs> you know, and uh, it focuses a lot on quality, which is why, in my opinion, it actually leads to those quantitative advantages as well. Mm. But from kind of a tactical perspective, first of all, it's um, focused on helping every disciple be a contributor and not merely a consumer. And so in in pursuit of that, you make sure every disciple is equipped in several areas. So being able to interpret and apply scripture. This is true even if they're non-literate, you know, these days, it's amazing the tools we have at our disposal. People can have a phone that plays MP3s, even non-smartphones, you know, just function phones can do that in their scripture recordings in thousands of languages. So interpreting and applying scripture, all different aspects of prayer, not just speaking to God, but listening to God hearing from him, learning to recognize his voice and the different functions of prayer and the types of prayer and learning to live in an attitude of prayer an awareness of God's presence and his guidance as we go through the day. Equipping every disciple to um, understand and appreciate the role of the body of Christ in their growth and development and ministry, not just individually, but corporately, The to equip every disciple and to, to know how to respond well to suffering or persecution. So, this equipping every believer. It also carries, you know, the idea of equipping every disciple to recognize two different worlds, as it were, and to know how to minister in and to those two worlds, the first world being their network of ongoing relationships, their friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, classmates, and so on. Because there are certain tools and approaches and principles that are more prevalent with those people, you know, and being persistent in stewarding those relationships. But then also knowing how to reach out to the ends of the earth, right? Everybody else who's not in your network and to prioritize the least, the last and the lost among those, to understand the tools and principles, you know, the ideas of like filtering and all of that related to reaching those. Um, It's definitely based on this idea of um, kind of a dual accountability to apply what you've learned and pass it on to others. So, you know, we think focus not so much on maturity as faithfulness, because faithfulness will lead to maturity and faithfulness is not time bound. A brand new believer can be faithful from the moment they enter the kingdom. And being faithful means matching what they know of god to what they're doing what they're applying and to what they're sharing or passing on to others and so there's this constant cycle every time they read scripture every time they pray every time they interact with the body they're learning and so then there are these accountability structures built in to see have they been faithful in applying and passing on what they've learned and then how will they apply and pass on what they're learning now? And so there's these cycles built in. There, there's um, a focus on helping everyone learn how to mentor others. So we, you hear a lot of talk in movement circles about the training cycle, right? Model, assist, watch, and leave. And there's a lot of skill and art in that that's just developed over time and with practice, but there's an effort to equip every disciple in those those aspects of making disciples. And so kind of this cluster together has become known as church planting movements. And so a lot of those other things that you described have a relationship with that. So like, in its original sense, DMM actually is a subset of that larger CPM world, because it focuses on exclusively bringing people to faith through discovery Bible studies done with those in their network of relationships. And so there's actually some, you know, resistance to sharing the gospel with individuals or in a, you know, in a single setting, you know, without preparation and a lot of all those things. So there's this, it's a re- intentionally restricted set of the broader CPM approaches. t for t was actually a patch on the kind of the original CPM because the original CPM approach was developed purely to work with very unreached people groups. And there was a very fruitful practitioner. Well, you mentioned him, Ying Kai, who, was working in a place that had a lot of other Christians, people who were already believers from non-movement approaches. And so, T4T was developed in order to, um, in a sense, provide a short-term discipleship training set to equip people who are already believers to understand how to operate in movements. So, that's T4T. So, it's you know, specifically, again, a little segment of broader CPM things. Um, You mentioned creation to Christ. That's mainly either a story set or a single story, you know, that's used in discipleship in case of the story set or evangelism in case of the single, you know, the single setting um you talked about four fields so four fields is a way to organize all of these cpm ideas and it's basically a direct analog to a previous tool that was a diagram with a, a foundation and it had five pillars that correspond to the four fields plus the center thing and then the heart of god part was the the roof you know and so it's just a repackaging and then but essentially didn't change any of the content of kind of original, you know, Mm -hmm. CPM training, but it's a way that people have found helpful to communicate and remember and tie it to a particular passage of scripture to help people remember it and so on. Um, You mentioned persons of peace. So that's obviously, you know, a scriptural term um, and is focused on finding people, especially outside your own network of relationships, who will be faithful to apply and pass on you know what they receive. So it's like a tactic in identifying people who will be great in starting movements. So all of these things are, are related, but I think you're right in saying that these are not used, oh, I didn't even mention Discovery Bible Study that you mentioned. So that is you know, a key structure for that dual accountability. And that term DBS was actually primarily used in the DMM world, disciple making movements world, but there's basically virtually identical type of groups that were, you know, used in CPNs before DMMs were coined, you know, or DBS, but they wanted to distinguish it because it was specific to, you know, one purpose, whereas the the groups for CPM are used in a multitude of ways, not just to disciple people to faith, but as the basis for church meetings, as the basis for leadership, training, you know, type of things and so on. So it's a little, um, you know, a, a broader thing DBS being particular to the DMMs, but now DBS and DMM are used to talk about a, a variety of uh, actually other approaches or hybrid approaches. So um, I think it is confusing for people a lot of times to keep all of that straight.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the terms that is is often thrown around in these kind of uh, movement-oriented, um, uh, you know, teams or 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 works in the field is this idea of obedience-based discipleship. This is a term that uh, Frank you've included in the Fidelis course. Um, I have a quote here by a guy named Alex Cockman, and I'm just going to read it. I'll put it on the screen later, perhaps. Um, and he writes in a in a blog post. He said this that. Obedience-based discipleship is a technical term describing a set of practices particular to the disciple-making movement methodology. Obedience-based discipleship essentially consists in the practice of leading groups of unbelieving quote-unquote disciples into regular obedience to the imperatives of Christ in pursuit of eventual conversion. He goes on to say, Obedience to Jesus' commands, hence, becomes a tool in pre-evangelism, as each week unbelievers are required to immediately put into practice what they are learning in the context of chronological Bible study prior to any proclamation of Christ's redemptive work. Now, um, we are Great Commission Christians, right? We We believe that Christ said, you know, after His resurrection and before His ascension, He said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. That's in Matthew 28. We're all very familiar with this. Now, my understanding of obedience-based discipleship... uh, is not clearly represented by this quote, uh, Christ's commission. He clearly understands people are going to repent of their sins and be baptized <laughs> before they are taught to obey all that Christ has commanded. It it, it doesn't have that, you know. It, it is it is understanding there's going to be a conversion experience before people have the capacity and ability to obey all that Christ commanded. Could could either of you or both of you respond to this? This caricature of obedience-based discipleship, um, is, yeah. is, is, this, is this guy, Alex, accurate in his understanding of obedience-based discipleship, or does is this the problem with not defining our terms clearly enough?
0: So, first of all, the term obedience-based discipleship predates the DMM methodology. Um, I don't know who coined it. I know Patterson was an early user of it, though. The the that term obedience based discipleship, and he he definitely used it in the context of discipling people who are already believers. Um, Alex Cockman's um, presentation of DMM methodology is um, accurate for the original technical use of DMM. You know, I mentioned it was a subset of CPM approach that intentionally eliminated a lot of other, mm. you know, aspects or ways to work. And this is accurate, an accurate description of that. And um, I don't see any problem with it. It's usually basically what they're doing um, in that is discipling people to conversion and there is no problem with telling a non-believer, you know, that they should be complying with God's commands before they enter the kingdom. It, that doesn't save them. But in fact, that's kind of how the law function, right? In a lot of senses, the whole point was the law functioned to create a sense of guilt and recognition that we are incapable of being good or, you know, earning salvation on our own merit we just can't do it. And so these groups can often function very much in that way. Um, But as people learn more about the character and nature of God going through, you know, a series of studies or whatever, then they become convinced they want to serve, they want to know, they want to love this God. Um, now, CPM methodology would absolutely have a place for that approach, but there are many other ways that people come to faith in, you, you know, it can happen as an individual and then work with them to lead others in their network of relationships to the Lord and so on. So, um, you know, I think the, the description of DMM by him is accurate in DMM's original limit, you know, more uh,
2: intentionally limited sense. So um, that's my reaction to it. To me, it's a very simple thing. Uh, I think in my case, when I, for the Fidelis, when I say obedience space. Uh, uh, obedience-based theological training. It's juxtaposed with knowledge-based theological education. That is the main thing. Uh, uh, Knowledge-based theological education, it's basically seat time, how much you're looking in a book, how much you're in the classroom, how much time you're spending with a university professor. So uh, that's how they measure people's integration of the materials. In our case with the Fidelis, since it's obedience-based, we measure, we, uh, measure progress uh, by an integration by people doing Zume, doing their soaps, sharing the gospel, doing walk through the Bible, uh, doing Zume, uh, three-thirds groups, uh, eventually teaching uh, firm foundations. This is the way we encourage integration of the materials. So I think that's a very important point to, 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 uh, to make here. Also, I'm not sure if you've ever read my book, uh, The Wheel Model, but it's part of the, uh, the um, curriculum in the Fidelis. It's one of the readings. And in there, uh, I, I talk about three broad areas. You have the core, you have uh, the spoke area, then you have the universals. Uh, the five spoke areas; those are the five fruitful practices. But I just want to point out that one of the fruitful practices that you're targeting is worldview transformation, and Romans twelve two is very clear on that point. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so we're no longer conform uh, by the wor- world. So there needs to be, as Curtis already pointed out, there needs to be a intake of God's word. And there's a choice whether we're going to obey it or not. And the goal clearly in scripture and all of us in ministry is that we want to encourage people to obey because that's where the real interaction with God actually happens, okay? Whether they're an unbeliever or a believer, it's the intake of God's word and processing that through a process and attitude of obedience because we love God. Whether we know him yet or know him already, the motivation is to get to know this God uh, through love and devotion. That's why we're committed to obedience. But let me get back to the wheel model in my book. The fifth, one of the uh, the fifth area, the fruitful practice that we're targeting, is worldview transformation. And if you think about it, okay, you know the question when I listed the five fruitful practices. The question was, is how do we know people are engaging in that fruitful practices? practice? So, for example, specifically in the worldview transformation, just think about it. How do we know someone's taking it in, taking in the word of God, interacting it with it, and, uh, and making progress, you know, uh, moving forward with God? The only way to measure that is through obedience, just by simply just thinking about it. To get worldview transformation, obedience is a key key factor that needs to be done. And let me just, now that I'm on the world wheel model, like I say, there's a core. If you look at that, that picture, there's a core. In the core, there are two things. There is a man and the Holy Spirit that are interacting with each other. In the book and in my teaching, I call that a human-divine relationship relationship. Uh, That core, in order to get a movement, you need to have that core in place where we are interacting with the Holy Spirit. God is our most faithful partner. I never doubt God's word and God's intent in bringing about a movement, actually. God wants as many people to come into the kingdom as possible. So that is the work of the Holy Spirit. So what is this relationship that the Holy Spirit has with man? Well, when we agree, agree with God, in other words, obey God and work toward the to the reaching of all the nations, that's when you have that hu- human divine partnership. God wants a movement. We need to be c- convinced of that. God wants all people to be swept in the kingdom of God. That is God's immediate desire for all the nations and all peoples, that they come into relationship with him. Mm-hmm. But man, we need to agree with God. And I'm always shocked how many missionaries and ministers do not agree with God on that point. Okay. And my, 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 just to make my closing statement here: if you don't have that human divine relationship operating in the pattern that I just described to you, no other teaching or training. uh, will will help these people that we're talking to that we're trying to influence to work toward God. They need to have a vital personal relationship with the living God, and they need to choose to obey God in his mission, but also when they go out in mission and lead other people to Christ, as they present the word of God and people interact with the word of God, then they have to choose to obey or reject, whether they're Christians or non-Christians. So I, I didn't want to go too long on that, but I wanted to be very clear. I would be the last guy to say that we can bring about a movement.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I just want to make sure we just hammer that home because I think people can again mischaracterize you know what we talk what we're talking about here. And I really love the fact that you you distinguished between um, obedience-based and knowledge-based because I think. What some people may uh, wrongly read into that is, we're distinguishing obedience-based discipleship from grace-based discipleship, and that's not at all what we're doing. We recognize uh, true obedience that glorifies Christ is only by grace through faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that's that's foundational, and we just have to keep, you know, mm-hmm. keep coming back to that over and over again. Right. Do you have and anything I, I, else? I, yeah, no, I, I just
2: want to add to this. I, I want to emphasize the point that I made. Exposing people to God through the word of God is essential. So even when I work with unbelievers, I'm exposing them. I encourage them. Hey, try this out. You know, look to God, talk to God about what issues you have and see how he responds. I want to expose people to God. And one way we do that is we, tell, we look at something in the word and we encourage them to obey it. But in the Fidelis curriculum, for example... How do one of the what is the one of the main features that we have in Fidelis to expose the students uh, to God It's through the memorization of the word, not just reading his word, but the memorization of his word. And we did with Eric Derry, uh, you interviewed Eric Derry and I, and uh, the thing that I was uh, emphasizing there, we get people, we want the word of God to motivate people's thoughts, which turns into actions I don't want them to do what I told them to do what Dan Baber told them to do what Curtis Sargent told anybody to do I want them to be motivated by the word of God and when you get that word in people's lives it is a very powerful motivator and there again they have a choice to obey or disobey yeah
0: and I'd like to just jump into your last comment Dan and uh, say that another way to look at the obedience-based discipleship is love-based discipleship, right? In scripture over and over and over, obedience is the expression of love when it comes to our interactions with God, you know? And so the question is, do you want your relationship with him to be love-based or based on some, you know, cold orthodoxy, right? We, you know, we talk there a lot of talk about orthodoxy. Absolutely, that's important, but by itself is it's meaningless, right? Satan knows more scripture than any of us. The demons believe and tremble, right? Belief by itself is nothing. And even orthopraxy, which you could say, you know, could you could misunderstand obedience-based discipleship as just being orthopraxy. But um, it, it goes beyond that because the the source, the purpose, the um, you know empowerment for the obedience is God, and so it's not even just orthopraxy, right practice, but it's the relationship with God that Frank's been talking about. So anyway.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Again, let me just throw this in. And uh, Curtis heard me say this, uh, doing Jonathan trainings and other things that we've done. I love that verse in Jeremiah 30, 21. Is not my word like fire declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. That is my motivation verse when I want it when I expose people to the word of God. If I can expose people to the word of God, I know that the Holy Spirit is smashing the walls of unbelief in their life. And it's just a matter of time.
1: Amen. Amen. Oh, this is, this is good. Um, If you could pick one Bible verse to undergird uh, DMM type thinking, Curtis, what Bible verse would you choose?
0: Well, um, I don't, I don't think there is one verse that catches it all, but, the, in terms of the, you know, the generational aspect, which is you know one one salient characteristic, Second um, Timothy 2.2, right you know the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses these entrust of the faithful men will be able to teach others also, just this um, you know knowing it doing it living it training it so that others can do the same thing you know that idea
2: well that's my number one verse two but i'd like to refer to that in a moment uh uh but uh i would say other than second timothy two is matthew 13 23 and 24 and the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word of god and understand it he produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown Uh, so, you know, being a Christian, being a disciple and the spreading the word of God is, is multiple It, it, it should multiply. It's a living thing. It's a living process. So let me get back to second Timothy two, two, if we got time to talk about that. Can I talk about that a little bit? Okay. I remember, you know, I memorized that verse at UMass. I was very fortunate to be discipled by a great man. He taught me movements way back as an undergraduate at UMass. And uh, anyways, I remember I was always applying that to my life. And then my first assignment in my uh, first term as a missionary, I was planting an intertribal church in Chiang Mai. Uh, first time tribal work was done in an urban setting in Thailand. anyways, I was discipling uh, people uh, there and it occurred to me, I asked the question, how do I know that I'm planting a seed of discipleship in this person's life that's going to reproduce and keep on going? And Curtis, I'm not sure if Curtis ever heard this story, but it's informative because if you think about this in the context of spiritual generations that we see in 2 Timothy 2, it's interesting, okay? At least in my mind, it's interesting, but... Anyways, I realized that if I invested in this one person and I told them, okay, go and disciple somebody else, and they did that, that's good, but I still would not know that what I invested in this disciple was going to reproduce. All I would know if that person only discipled one more person, all I know is that I taught that person just to disciple one other person, okay? So then i thought okay if i disciple this person and that person disciples someone what i need to see is that 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 second person discipling somebody else who would disciple somebody else then i thought in my mind that's what i need to do and then i counted the generations lo and behold it was four spiritual generations I needed to look to that fourth spiritual generation if I wanted to accurately apply Second Timothy two two in the work of discipleship that I was doing. Like and but the thing is is if you think about it and you look around, a lot of people do quote unquote discipleship where people are only taught to teach one more generation because that's usually where it ends right there. They're not taught to teach that that next disciple to disciple somebody else. And, you know, just to bring this thing full circle, I think that's what DMM does. Things like Zoom A does. We see CPM, this is the things that we emphasize. And there again, in, in the wheel model, I put about reproduction is a, is a part of a sustainable church multiplication movement. And we need to see things multiply out to the fourth generation. But I think this is a key element that Paul stressed And I would say this was his little secret that he kept in his little toolbox that uh, caused him to see movements go all through the world at that time.
1: Hmm. It really reminds me, even in the Old Testament, you know, uh, parents were instructed to whatever they did when they got up, when they went on the way whatever they did with their children they were to have the law of yahweh on their tongues right on the on their on their frontlets and and everything they were doing you know was to be shaped and formed around the torah the the of yahweh and and uh you know in in a different sense you know just literally generationally if if every parent was instructing their children in the way of Torah, they would have been teaching their kids to prepare to teach their kids to prepare to teach their kids. That's that's the ideal. Right. And we of course, we see in the in the Old Testament that cycle didn't work out quite as well <laughs> as uh, usually in the typical sense. You know, there was always a remnant, but uh, that's the the other kind of long game, genera- generationally speaking, of, uh, uh, of movement. It's not very rapid, right? It's, it's, it's literally generationally. But um, we can have multiple kinds of thinking when it comes to this. Um, I'm going to shift gears here a little bit. Um, Zume is an integral piece of the Fidelis curric- uh, course. It's, it's built into, I believe, every single lesson of the 65 lessons at what, of what, of what um, Fidelis is right now. Curtis, I would like to hear you I've heard a little bit from Frank about the genesis of Zume, but I would like to hear from from your uh, recollection how did Zume come together uh, and and what have you observed uh, happening what what is the status of the Zume project and the Zume vision?
0: Yeah So Frank led uh, a kind of I guess I'd characterize this as a, a group of friends who all had similar, passion and focus um in it wasn't really an organization but uh the coalition of church planting movement practitioners called jonathan project and we would have a face-to-face meeting at least once a year sometimes twice a year where we would um kind of get updates on how work was going and, you know, share with each other what we were hearing the Lord say about future directions or changes or, you know, that needed to happen. And one particular year when we were meeting together, the topic came up of uh, the United States. So all of us in that group were focused on, very unreached parts of the globe, but um, we were from the United States. And um, so the Lord kind of put a burden on us for seeing something happen in the United States, like each of us was seeing in our work in various places around the world that, that were, you know, unreached. And um, so we began sharing ideas on how to do that. And, um, you know, I shared some, you know, ideas of trying to describe what I felt the Lord was laying on my heart that, you know, eventually became Zume. And I don't remember who it was. Was it Eric who came up with the name?
2: That's yes, right. It's what, what is interesting. You remember every Every time we get together, I share a scripture, something that I believe God wanted me to share with you guys. And it was Luke chapter 13, 2021, 20, where, where Jesus uh, explains to his disciples how he's going to reach the globe. And he says, It's like yeast that a woman takes, mixes with a large amount of flour until it works all through the dough. Yeah. That was the scripture I shared. Uh, the events that you described are absolutely. Ar- uh, accurate. And then Eric, yeah, you're right. He says, you know, that word, uh, that uh, that zoom, uh, that yeast that, that talks, that Jesus talked about, the Greek word for that is zume.
0: Yeah. So, and then, um, you know, I kind of volunteered to run point on, as we developed it and uh, put together a team that's, you know, continued to meet together Uh, actually weekly, at least briefly, for the past several years as we've developed it. So what it is, is it's an introductory online training for multiplying disciples in simple churches. Um, We make coaches available to any participants, you know, who will be experienced practitioners of this, and it's available in 40 languages currently. Um, with a few more under development. Um,
1: Wait, 40 languages, run. that's incredible. Yeah, that is incredible. And
0: each month for the past three months, we've had um, about 36,000 unique visitors every month to the site, to the primary site. And um, for a long time, over a year during the pandemic, we had over 50,000 unique visitors a month. And a lot of these are in very unreached places. So, um, last time I looked was in March of this year, and at that time the U.S. was um, ninth or tenth in the number of registrations in the countries that were the highest. Almost all of them are very unreached places. You know, India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and so on. And so. Um, you know, I think it's giving a lot of people access to at least introductory training on movements that they might not otherwise get in a lot of cases. And there's a lot of neat stories that, you know, we hear about how
2: God's using it. So, yeah. I use it quite regularly with people on discipling as well. And that's one reason why we incorporated Zume into the uh, Fidelis project because it's obedience-based, and and this is what I call, when I'm talking like the church in America, I call call it Christian activism. You know, even with the situation here in the United States, there's all sorts of suggestions uh, uh, that are being made to turn the tide, but my my feeling is is that unless the church gets back to its missional calling, uh, that, uh, in other words, Christian activism, there's no way we're going to turn the tide in this country or anywhere in this world.
1: Mission is the point of the spear. Okay, uh, you know, Zume, you've talked a little bit about how it came about. What exactly is it? If someone, you know, it, it is the I call it the spine of Fidelis, right? It's kind of the spinal cord. <laughs> it is the the it's where the, the heartbeat really is uh, behind it. And it's essentially like the core essentials of 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 how to be a disciple. Um, a faithful disciple of Christ, um, condensed into a very uh, easily, easily consumed and um, engaged with, I don't know, can you tell some of the, the way how, how does Zoom A work? What, what, what exactly do people do if they want to do the Zoom A? How, what is that process <laughs> like for them, Curtis?
0: Yeah, so the URL for the training site is so zume.training so z u m e.training and they can just go there and uh, you can use it without registering but there's a couple of advantages to registering one is you can have access to a coach like i mentioned and also you can have a dashboard where you track your you know your progress and um, so you know there are some advantages Uh, it's video based they're all um, they're not talking heads they're whiteboarding or video scribe format and it's just set up with um, you know 10 two-hour sessions is sort of the the default way that it's set up and you so you can just gather a small group and go through it together it's designed to be sort of self-facilitating you just need to have access to your computer or you know smart device. There's an app where you can download everything in case you're going to be in a place that doesn't have internet access. Um, and there's lots of other ways that we've found that it's helpful. Um, I don't know if you have the capacity to have a little um, file below the episode. But if you do, I can send you a a one page document that I think is really helpful in showing about, I guess, 10 different use cases, and having links to relevant um, companion sites and things like that, that might be helpful for people. So I can send that to you.
1: Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Curtis. Um, this has been a really, I feel like we just barely scratched the surface. I know we could talk for a long time. This is, this, this stuff fires me up. I know it fires both of you up. Um, could you just share a little bit about what your life and ministry is like right now? I don't know anything about MediCamp. So if you could share with me and our viewers, and then I know you've also recently written a book that is available. Um, the only one, Uh, Could you just share a little bit about that book and, and where people can find that? Sure.
0: So the target audience for that book is sort of just typical American Christians. And so it's sort of a soft and indirect introduction to these movement ideas. So it starts from basically the perspective of wouldn't it be great if we could know God better? Here's some aspects of what that would look like individually Here's some aspects of what that could look like corporately. And then here's some actual tools that may be helpful in growing in these areas. So uh, the ebook is available for free. At that URL you have pulled up, theonlyonebook.com. So that's the book. Um, In terms of other things that I'm doing besides Zoom A, Um, you mentioned MediCamp, so it's live trainings that I do here and elsewhere around the country and around the world that um, cover similar things. So it's divided up into one-week modules. So module one essentially covers the same things that Zume covers. Module two is sort of the strategic macro view. So Zoomy's more tactical individual grassroots view. Um, so that starts looking at, you know, what the networks that result look like, how ongoing leadership development takes place, how accountability takes place, you know, throughout the network between churches how leadership functions in in networks, strategies for reaching larger populations, you know, things like that. Module three is how to do modules one and two in a non-literate context. So, you know, among oral, primary oral learners and so on. Module four would be how to effectively integrate holistic ministry So, you know, things related to food, water, justice, medicine, you know, all all of those kind of more holistic um, aspects of ministry, how to utilize the same principles that we use in multiplying disciples in simple churches to those aspects in a way that doesn't distract from the disciple making, but reinforces it. And then we, we occasionally run other specialized modules. So coming up, we've got one on crisis response, you know, things like that. So that's a camp. And then um, I'm a co-facilitator for the 2414 coalition, which is a coalition of movement practitioners around the world. And um, so you know, I spend a good good part of my time and energy um, on that, and then I'm also part of a leadership team for finishing the task, um, which is just transitioning to a new phase. Previously, it was focused exclusively on starting work among unengaged people groups, um, but. As that's nearly complete now, the next phase is working toward saturation globally of evangelism and church planting um, and throwing in a big emphasis on scripture um, translation and engagement and prayer. And so um, I primarily focus on the church planting portion of that but obviously all of those interact those different aspects interact with each other um so that's kind of what i do these days
1: well wonderful well i sure do hope people um check out that book um thank you for writing that it book and making... is part of the
2: fidelis curriculum by the way it's one of the readings that's
1: right yeah no it's yeah it, it looks amazing and um yeah, thanks for making that available. People people can just download a free free copy. That's that's phenomenal. And if people want to check out MedicaMP, they just go to medic org. That's m e t a c a m p.org, right?
0: Yeah. And 2414 is 2414now.net.
1: Okay. And
0: finishing the task is finishingthetask.com.
1: All right. I'll put all those links in the show notes. Um could you finish uh Curtis but just if you have one story that sticks out in your mind that helps you get up in the morning, something that encourages you, something that you've a testimony or or some some particular um thing that you observed uh or have heard about that really has been an encouragement to you lately regarding these things?
0: Hmm. <clears throat> well, um this week um one of the kind of uh big users of Zume in china uh allowed me to sit in on the last or the beginning of the last session that he was leading and i got to listen to um testimonies of People whose lives had been changed as a result of it. During their training, they led 138 people to Christ, you know, during the, the course, and they were just talking about how it had changed their, um, their, you know, relationships with their families and, you know, all of these things. And it's just exciting to hear about new people entering the kingdom lives being changed even in, you know, the most restrictive circumstances. And I uh, just heard from that guy today that um, he opened up a, uh, a new, that, that was a Zoom a online course that, that I sat in on. And he just opened up uh, registrations for a new one. And he already has 160 registrants, which is like five times as big as that group I just sat in on. And he said, he's going to have to limit it to 300 because that's all his zoom account will allow. And so he's going to be breaking them up into small, small cohorts, um, you know, in that online course. And um, so there's a lot of hunger, you know, learning this and it's just exciting to see Mm -hmm. lives being changed so that's um, very recent as of this morning so (laughs) and it's fun because every day i get to hear this stuff you know
1: oh my goodness Mm -hmm. i find it a little humorous in god's sovereignty that the the online tool we're all using is called zoom (laughs) and zoom may sound so similar it's pretty cool um
0: zoom on zoom
1: that's right that's the thing i just what
2: i'm fascinated by is how god is working upstream in so many areas to bring us to the point where we're at today i mean even this um uh, zoom a curtis when uh, god moved us in that direction what was it about six seven years ago um now that we were facing the, the era of covid people flocking to zoom zoom a like crazy and i think god graced us by allowing to do it and we're part of that upstream that god was using
0: yeah the uh i I need to look up the exact numbers but if my memory serves me correctly we were running maybe a little below 1000 users per month pre-covid and almost instantly jumped to 50,000. Yeah, wasn't it that Eric
2: said that once COVID hit, uh, that, that what was it, May, the month of May, there was like a 2,000 plus percent increase of traffic to our website. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think also the team of people, I'm glad you pointed out that God put together a team. There's a lot of moving parts to this, Dan, and it's just amazing the great people that God brought uh, brought to the table to work together on this. And they fine tune this thing in so many ways. And I even think of businessmen that I knew to help support some of these uh, pieces, uh, translating some of the first languages. I mean, there's so many moving parts and it's just a thrill. It's just a thrill to be part of it. And and I believe that when we get focused on God to, to get that missional piece right in our lives, God gives us more opportunities. I'll just say that. And what we're trying to do in the Fidelis uh, course and through the Zoomay course is expose people to the greatness of God and the privilege it is to be part of his mission.
1: Mm. That is a great place to finish off our time together. Uh, thank you so much, Curtis and Frank. It's been a pleasure to uh, sit and have a cup of coffee with you this morning. I hope uh, lots of people uh, are encouraged by, by these stories and uh, hope to hear more to come.
2: God right. bless you. Thanks again, Dan. And it's great doing this together with you, Curtis. It's been a while. You too.
1: All right. God bless. Take care, guys. Fidelis Project exists to equip Christian leaders in a rapidly changing world. To learn more about how you or someone you know may become a student with Fidelis, visit us online at www fidelisproject.com If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving us a review so that others can find us easily. You can find us also on all the major social media outlets. Just look up Fidelis Project. Thanks so much.